10. Merely human device. Who will dare to advocate the human institution of marriage without the warm heart of a devoted and loving companion? 5. Legislation. But no human legislation can so guard this institution but that it may be broken in spirit. Though, perhaps, acceded to inform, for, it is the heart which this institution requires. There must be true and devoted affection, or marriage is a farce and a failure. 6. The marriage ceremony and the law governing marriage are for the protection of the individual. Yet a man and woman may be married by law and yet and married in spirit. The law may tie together, and no marriage be consummated. Marriage therefore is divine, and whom God hath joined together let no man put asunder. A right marriage means the right state of the heart. A careful study of this work will be a great help to both the unmarried and the married. 7. Desertion and Divorce. For a young man to court a young woman, and excite her love till her affections are riveted, and then from sinister motives, such as, to marry one richer, or more handsome, to leave her, and try elsewhere is the very same crime as to divorce her from all that she holds dear on earth to root up and pull out her embedded affections, and to tear her from her rightful husband. First love is always constant. The second love brings uncertainty to often desertions before marriage and divorces after marriage. 8. The Coquette. The young woman to play the coquette, and sport with the sincere affections of an honest and devoted young man, is one of the highest crimes that human nature can commit. Better murder him in body too, as she does in soul and morals, and it is the result of previous disappointment, never the outcome of a sincere first love. 9. One marriage. One evidence that second marriages are contrary to the laws of our social nature, is the fact that almost all step-parents and step-children disagree. Now, what law has been broken, to induce this penalty, the law of marriage, and this is one of the ways in which the breach punishes itself. It is much more in accordance with our natural feelings, especially those of mothers, that children should be brought up by their own parent. 10. Second marriage. Another proof of this point island that second marriage is more a matter of business. I'll give you a home, if you'll take care of my children. It's a bargain, is the way most second matches are made. There is little of the poetry of first love, and little of the coyness and shrinking diffidence which characterize the first attachment. Still these remarks apply almost equally to a second attachment, as to second marriage. 11. The conclusion of the whole matter. Let this portion be read and pondered, and also the one entitled, Marry your first love if possible, which assigns the cause, and points out the only remedy, of licentiousness, as long as the main cause of this vice exists, and is aggravated by purse-proud, high-born, aristocratic parents and friends, and even by the virtuous and religious just so long, and exactly in the same ratio will this blighting Sirocco blast the fairest flowers of female innocence and lawfulness, and blight our noblest specimens of manliness, no sin of our land is greater, flirting and its dangers, 1, no excuse, in this country there is no excuse for the young man who seeks the society of the loose and the dissolute, there is at all times and everywhere open to him a society of persons of the opposite sex of his own age and of pure thoughts and lives, whose conversation will refine him and drive from his bosom ignoble and impure thoughts. 2. The dangers. The young man who may take pleasure in the fact that he is the hero of half a dozen or more engagements and love episodes, little realizes that such constant excitement often causes not only dangerously frequent and long-continued nocturnal emissions, but most painful affections of the testicles, those who show too great familiarity with the other sex 
who entertain lascivious thoughts, continually exciting the sexual desires, always suffer a weakening of power and sometimes the actual diseases of degeneration, chronic inflammation of the gland, spermatoria, impotence, and the like. Young man, beware, your punishment for trifling with the affections of others may cost you a life of affliction. 3. Remedy. Do not violate the social laws. Do not trifle with the affections of your nature. Do not give others countless anguish. And also do not run the chances of injuring yourself and others for life. The society of refined and pure women is one of the strongest safeguards a young man can have. And he who seeks it will not only find satisfaction, but happiness. Simple friendship and kind affections for each other will ennoble and benefit. 4. The time for marriage. When a young man's means permit him to marry, he should then look intelligently for her with whom he expects to pass the remainder of his life in perfect loyalty, and in sincerity and singleness of heart, seek her to whom he is ready to swear to be ever true. 5. Breach of confidence. Nothing is more certain, says Dr. Nathie, to undermine domestic felicity, and sap the foundation of marital happiness, than marital infidelity. The risks of disease which a married man runs in impure intercourse are far more serious, because they not only involve himself, but his wife and his children. He should know that there is nothing which a woman will not forgive sooner than such a breach of confidence. He is exposed to the plots and is pretty certain sooner or later to fall into the snares of those atrocious parties who subsist on blackmail, and should he escape these complications, he still must lose self-respect and carry about with him the burden of a guilty conscience and a broken vow. 6. Society Rules and Customs A young man can enjoy the society of ladies without being a flirt. He can escort ladies to parties, public places of interest, social gatherings, etc. without showing special devotion to any one special young lady. When he finds the choice of his heart, then he will be justified to manifest it, and publicly proclaim it by paying her the compliment exclusive attention. To keep a lady's company six months is a public announcement of an engagement. A word to maidens. 1. No young lady who is not willing to assume the responsibility of a true wife, and be crowned with the sacred diadem of motherhood, should ever think of getting married. We have too many young ladies today who despise maternity, who openly vow that they will never be burdened with children, and yet enter matrimony at the first opportunity. What is the result? Let Echo answer. What? Unless a young lady believes that motherhood is noble, is honorable, is divine, and she is willing to carry out that sacred function of her nature, she had a thousand times better refuse every proposal, and enter some honorable occupation and wisely die an old maid by choice. 2. On the other hand, young lady, never enter into the physical relations of marriage with a man until you have conversed with him freely and fully on these relations. Learn distinctly his views and feelings and expectations in regard to that purest and most ennobling of all the functions of your nature, and the most sacred of all intimacies of conjugal love, your self-respect, your beauty, your glory, your heaven, as a wife, will be more directly involved in his feelings and views and practices, in regard to that relation, than in all other things, as you would not become a weak, miserable, imbecile, and lovable and degraded wife and mother in the very prime of your life, come to a perfect understanding with your chosen one, ere you commit your person to his keeping in the sacred intimacies of home, beware of that man who, under a pretense of delicacy, modesty, and propriety, shuns conversation with you on this relation, 
and on the hallowed function of maternity. 3. Talk with your intended frankly and openly. Remember, concealment and mystery in him, towards you, on all other subjects pertaining to conjugal union might be overlooked. But if he conceals his views here, rest assured it bodes no good to your purity and happiness as a wife and mother. You can have no more certain assurance that you are to be victimized, your soul and body offered up, slain on the altar of his sensualism, than his unwillingness to converse with you on subjects so vital to your happiness, unless he is willing to hold his manhood in abeyance to the calls of your nature and to your conditions, and consecrate its passions and its powers to the elevation and happiness of his wife and children. Your maiden soul had better return to God in adorn with the diadem of conjugal and maternal love than that you should become the wife of such man and the mother of his children. Popping the question. 1. Making the declaration. There are few emergencies in business and few events in life that bring to man the trying ordeal of proposing to a lady. We should be glad to help the bashful lover in his hours of perplexity, embarrassment and hesitation. But unfortunately we cannot pop the question for him nor give him a formula by which he may do it. Different circumstances and different surroundings compel every lover to be original in his form or mode of proposing. 2. Bashfulness. If a young man is very bashful, he should write his sentiments in a clear, frank manner on a neat white sheet of notepaper, enclose it in a plain white envelope and find some way to convey it to the lady's hand. 3. The answer. If the beloved one's heart is touched and she is in sympathy with the lover, the answer should be frankly and unequivocally given. If the negative answer is necessary, it should be done in the kindest and most sympathetic language, yet definite, positive and to the point, and the gentleman should at once withdraw his suit and continue friendly but not familiar. For, saying, no, for, yes. If girls are foolish enough to say, no, when they mean, yes, they must suffer the consequences which often follow. A man of intelligence and self-respect will not ask a lady twice. It is begging for recognition and lowers his dignity. Should he do so, a lady is supposed to know her heart sufficiently to consider the question to her satisfaction before giving an answer. 5. Confusion of words and misunderstanding. Sometimes a man's happiness has depended on his manner of popping the question. Many a time the girl has said no because the question was so worded that the affirmative did not come from the mouth naturally and two lives that gravitated toward each other with all their inward force have been thrown suddenly apart, because the electric keys were not carefully touched. 6. Scriptural Declaration. The church is not the proper place to conduct a courtship, yet the following is suggestive and ingenious. A young gentleman, familiar with the scriptures, happening to sit in a pew adjoining a young lady for whom he conceived a violent attachment, made his proposal in this way. He politely handed his neighbor a Bible open, with a pen stuck in the following text, Second Epistle of John, verse 5, And I beseech thee, Lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that we had from the beginning, that we love one another. She returned it, pointing to the second chapter of Ruth, verse 10, Then she fell on her face, and bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me? Seeing I am a stranger, he returned the book, pointing to the thirteenth verse of the third epistle of John, having many things to write unto you. I would not write to you with paper and ink, but trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that your joy may be full. From the above interview a marriage took place the ensuing month in the same church. 7. How Jenny was one, 
on a sunny summer morning, early as the dew was dry. Up the hill I went a burying, need I tell you tell you why? Farmer Davis had a daughter, and it happened that I knew. On each sunny morning, Jenny up the hill went burying too. Lonely work is picking berries. So I joined her on the hill, Jenny, dear, said I, your basket's quite too large for one to fill. So we stayed we two to fill it. Jenny talking I was still, leading where the hill was steepest, picking berries up the hill. This is uphill work, said Jenny, so is life, said I, shall we climb it each alone, or, Jenny, will you come and climb with me? Redder than the blushing berries Jenny's cheek a moment grew, while without delay she answered, I will come and climb with you. 8. A romantic way for proposing. In Peru they have a romantic way of popping the question. The suitor appears on the appointed evening, with a gaily dressed troubadour under the balcony of his beloved. The singer steps before her flower-bedecked window, and sings her beauties in the name of her lover. He compares her size to that of a pear tree, her lips to two blushing rosebuds, and her womanly form to that of a dove. With assumed harshness the lady asks her lover, Who are you? And what do you want? He answers with ardent confidence, By love I do adore. The stars live in the harmony of love. And why should not we, too, love each other? Then the proud beauty gives herself away, she takes her flower wreath from her hair and throws it down to her lover, promising to be his forever. The wedding, one, the proper time. Much has been printed in various volumes regarding the time of the year, the influence of the seasons, etc. as determining the proper time to set for the wedding day. Circumstances must govern these things, to be sure. It is best to avoid extremes of heat and cold. Very hot weather is debilitating, and below zero is uncomfortable. 2. The lady should select the day. There is one element in the time that is of great importance, physically, especially to the lady. It is the day of the month, and it is hoped that every lady who contemplates marriage is informed upon the great facts of ovulation. By reading page 244 she will understand that it is to her advantage to select a wedding day about 15 or 18 days after the close of menstruation in the month chosen, since it is not best that the first child should be conceived during the excitement or irritation of first attempts at Congress, besides modest brides naturally do not wish to become large with child before the season of congratulation and visiting on their return from the wedding tour is over. Again. It is asserted by many of the best writers on this subject, that the mental condition of either parent at the time of intercourse will be stamped upon the embryo hence it is not only best, but wise, that the firstborn should not be conceived until several months after marriage, when the husband and wife have nicely settled in their new home, and become calm in their experience of each other's society. 3. The bridal tour is considered by many newly married couples as a necessary introduction to a life of connubial joy their island in our opinion, nothing in the custom to recommend it, after the excitement and overwork before and accompanying a wedding, the period immediately following should be one of rest, again, the money expended on the ceremony and a tour of the principal cities, etc. might, in most cases, be applied to a multitude of afterlife comforts of far more lasting value and importance, to be sure, it is not pleasant for the bride, should she remain at home to pass through the ordeal of criticism and vulgar comments of acquaintances and friends, and hence, to escape this, the young couple feel like getting away for a time, undoubtedly the best plan for the great majority, after this most eventful ceremony, is to enter their future home at once, 
and there to remain in comparative privacy until the novelty of the situation is worn off. For, if the conventional tour is taken, the husband should remember that his bride cannot stand the same amount of tramping around and sightseeing that he can. The female organs of generation are so easily affected by excessive exercise of the limbs which support them, that at this critical period it would be a foolish and cosily experience to drag a lady hurriedly around the country on an extensive and protracted round of sightseeing or visiting, unless good common sense is displayed in the manner of spending the honeymoon. It will prove very untrue to its name. In many cases it lays the foundation for the wife's first and lifelong backache. Advice to newly married couples. 1. Be ye fruitful and multiply, is a Bible commandment which the children of men habitually obey. However they may disagree on other subjects. All are in accord on this, the barbarous, the civilized, the high, the low, the fierce, the gentle all unite in the desire which finds its accomplishment in the reproduction of their kind, who shall quarrel with the divinely implanted instinct, or declare it to be vulgar or unmentionable. It is during the period of the honeymoon that the intensity of this desire, coupled with the greatest curiosity, is at its height, and the unbridled license often given the passions at this time is attended with the most dangerous consequences. 2. Consummation of marriage. The first time that the husband and wife cohabit together after the ceremony has been performed is called the consummation of marriage. Many grave errors have been committed by people in this. When one or both of the contracting parties were not physically or sexually in a condition to carry out the marriage relation, a marriage, however, is complete without this in the eyes of the law, as it is a maxim taken from the Roman civil statutes that consent, not cohabitation, is the binding element in the ceremony. Yet, in most states of the U.S. and in some other countries, marriage is legally declared void and of no effect where it is not possible to consummate the marriage relation. A divorce may be obtained provided the injured party begins the suit. 3. Test of virginity. The consummation of marriage with a virgin is not necessarily attended with a flow of blood, and the absence of this sign is not the slightest presumption against her former chastity. The true test of virginity is modesty void of any disagreeable familiarity. A sincere Christian faith is one of the best recommendations. 4. Let every man remember that the legal right of marriage does not carry with it the moral right to injure for life the loving companion he has chosen. Ignorance may be the cause, but every man before he marries should know something of the physiology and the laws of health, and we here give some information which is of very great importance to every newly married man. 5. Sensuality. Lust crucifies love. The young sensual husband is generally at fault. Passion sways and the duty to bride and wife is not thought of. And so a modest young wife is often actually forced and assaulted by the unsympathetic haste of her husband. An amorous man in that way soon destroys his own love, and thus is laid the foundation for many difficulties that soon develop trouble and disturb the happiness of both. 6. Abuse after marriage. Usually marriage is consummated within a day or two after the ceremony, but this is gross injustice to the bride. In most cases she is nervous, timid and exhausted by the duties of preparation for the wedding, and in no way in a condition, either in body or mind, for the vital change which the married relation bring upon her. Many a young husband often lays the foundation of many diseases of the womb and of the nervous system in gratifying his unchecked passions without a proper regard for his wife's exhausted condition. 7. The first conjugal approaches are usually painful to the new wife, and no enjoyment to her follows. Great caution and kindness should be exercised, 
A young couple rushing together in their animal passion soon produce a nervous and irritating condition which ere long brings apathy, indifference, if not dislike. True love and a high regard for each other will temper passion into moderation. 8. Word or the above injunctions heeded fully and liberally it would be folly to say more. But this would be omitting all account of the bridegroom's new position, the power of his passion, and the timidity of the fair creature who is wondering what fate has in store for her trembling modesty. To be sure, there are some women who are possessed of more forward natures and stronger desires than others. In such cases there may be less trouble. 9. A common error. The young husband may have read in some treatise on physiology that the hymen in a virgin is the great obstacle to be overcome. He is apt to conclude that this is all, that some force will be needed to break it down, and that therefore an amount of urgency even to the degree of inflicting considerable pain is justifiable. This is usually wrong. It rarely constitutes any obstruction and, even when its rupturing may be necessary, it alone seldom causes suffering. There are sometimes certain deformities of the vagina, but no woman should knowingly seek matrimonial relations when thus afflicted. We quote from Drive C.A. Huff the following, 10. What is it, then, that usually causes distress to many women, whether a bride or a long-time wife? The answer I'll and simply those conditions of the organs in which they are not properly prepared, by anticipation and desire, to receive a foreign body. The modest one craves only refined and platonic love at first, and if husbands, new and old, would only realize this plain truth, wife torturing would cease and the happiness of each one of all human pairs vastly increase. 11. The conditions of the female organs depend upon the state of the mind just as much as in the case of the husband. The male, however, being more sensual, is more quickly roused, she is far less often or early ready, and it's an exited state the vagina is lax. Its walls are closed together, and their surface is covered by but little lubricating secretion. The chaster one of the pair has no desire that this sacred vestibule to the great arcana of procreation shall be immediately and roughly invaded. This, then, is the time for all approaches by the husband to be of the most delicate, considerate, and refined description possible. The quietest and softest demeanor, with gentle and reassuring words, are all that should be attempted at first. The wedding day has probably been one of fatigue, and it is foolish to go farther. 12. For more than one night it will be wise, indeed, if the wife's confidence shall be as much wooed and won by patient, delicate, and prolonged courting, as before the marriage engagement. How long should this period of waiting be can only be decided by the circumstances of any case. The bride will ultimately deny no favor which is sought with full deference to her modesty and in connection with which bestiality is not exhibited. Her nature is that of delicacy, her affection is of a refined character, if the love and conduct offered to her are a careful effort to adapt roughness and strength to her refinement and weakness, her admiration and responsive love will be excited to the utmost. 13. When that moment arrives when the bride finds she can repose perfect confidence in the kindness of her husband, that his love is not purely animal, and that no violence will be attempted, the power of her affection for him will surely assert itself, the mind will act on those organs which nature has endowed to fulfill the law of her being, the walls of the vagina will expand, and the glands at the entrance will be fully lubricated by a secretion of mucus which renders congress a matter of comparative ease. 14. When this responsive enlargement and lubrication are fully realized, it is made plain why the haste and force so common to first and subsequent coition, island as it has been justly called, 
nothing but, legalized rape, young husband, prove your manhood, not by yielding to unbridled lust and cruelty, but by the exhibition of true power in self-control and patience with the helpless being confided to your care, prolong the delightful season of courting into and through wedded life and rich shall be your reward. 15. A want of desire may often prevail, and may be caused by loss of sleep, study, constant thought, mental disturbance, anxiety, self-abuse, excessive use of tobacco or alcoholic drink, etc. Overwork may cause debility, a man may not have an erection for months, yet it may not be a sign of debility, sexual lethargy or impotence, get the mind and the physical constitution in proper condition, and most all these difficulties will disappear. Good athletic exercise by walking, riding, or playing croquet, or any other amusement, will greatly improve the condition. A good rest, however, will be necessary to fully restore the mind and the body. Then the natural condition of the sexual organs will be resumed. 16. Having twins. Having twins is undoubtedly hereditary and descends from generation to generation. And persons who have twins are generally those who have great sexual vigor. It is generally the result of a second cohabitation immediately following the first, but some parents have twins who cohabit but once during several days. 17. Proper intercourse. The right relation of a newly married couple will rather increase than diminish love. To thus offer up the maiden on the altar of love and affection only swells her flood of joy and bliss, whereas, on the other hand, sensuality humbles, debases, pollutes, and never elevates. Young husbands should wait for an invitation to the banquet and they will be amply paid by the very pleasure sought. Invitation or permission delights, and possession by force degrades. The right-minded bridegroom will postpone the exercise of his nuptial rites for a few days, and allow his young wife to become rested from the preparation and fatigue of the wedding, and become accustomed to the changes in her new relations of life. 18. Rightly beginning sexual life. Intercourse promotes all the functions of the body and mind, but rampant just and sexual abuses soon destroy the natural pleasures of intercourse, and unhappiness will be the result. Remember that intercourse should not become the polluted purpose of marriage. To be sure, rational enjoyment benefits and stimulates love, but the pleasure of each other's society, standing together on all questions of mutual benefit, working hand in hand and shoulder to shoulder in the battle of life. Raising a family of beautiful children, sharing each other's joys and sorrows, are the things that bring to every couple the best, purest, and noblest enjoyment that God has bestowed upon man. Sexual proprieties and improprieties. 1. To have offspring is not to be regarded as a luxury, but as a great primary necessity of health and happiness, of which every fully developed man and woman should have a fair share. While it cannot be denied that the ignorance of the necessity of sexual intercourse to the health and virtue of both man and woman is the most fundamental error in medical and moral philosophy, too, in a state of pure nature, where man would have his sexual instincts under full and natural restraint, there would be little, if any, licentiousness, and children would be the result of natural desire, and not the accidents of lust. 3. This is an age of sensuality and natural passions cultivated and indulged. Young people in the course of their engagement often sow the seed of serious excesses. This habit of embracing, sitting on the lover's lap, leaning on his breast, long and uninterrupted periods of secluded companionship, have become so common that it is amazing how a young lady can safely arrive at the wedding day. While this conduct may safely terminate with the wedding day, 
yet it cultivates the tendency which often results in excessive indulgencies after the honeymoon is over. 4. Separate beds. Many writers have vigorously championed as a reform the practice of separate beds for husband and wife. While we would not recommend such separation, it is no doubt very much better for both husband and wife. In case the wife is pregnant, where people are reasonably temperate, no such ordinary precautions as separate sleeping places may be necessary. But in case of pregnancy it will add rest to the mother and add vigor to the unborn child. Sleeping together, however, is natural and cultivates true affection. And it is physiologically true that in very cold weather life is prolonged by husband and wife sleeping together. 5. The authority of the wife. Let the wife judge whether she desires a separate couch or not. She has the superior right to control her own person. In such diseases as consumption, or other severe or lingering diseases, separate beds should always be insisted upon. 6. The time for indulgence. The health of the generative functions depends upon exercise, just the same as any other vital organ. Intercourse should be absolutely avoided just before or after meals or just after mental excitement or physical exercise. No wife should indulge her husband when he is under the influence of alcoholic stimulants, for idiocy and other serious maladies are liable to be visited upon the offspring. 7. Restraint during pregnancy. There is no question but what moderate indulgence during the first few months of pregnancy does not result in serious harm, but people who excessively satisfy their ill-governed passions are liable to pay a serious penalty. 8. Miscarriage. If a woman is liable to abortion or miscarriage, absolute abstinence is the only remedy. No sexual indulgence during pregnancy can be safely tolerated. 9. It is better for people not to marry until they are of proper age. It is a physiological fact that men seldom reach the full maturity or their virile power before the age of 25, and the female rarely attains the full vigor of her sexual powers before the age of 20. 10. Illicit pleasures. The indulgence of illicit pleasures, says Dr. S. Pancoast, sooner or later is sure to entail the most loathsome diseases on their votaries. Among these diseases are gonorrhea, syphilis, spermatoria waste of semen by daily and nightly involuntary emissions, satiriasis a species of sexual madness, or a sexual diabolism, causing men to commit rape and other beastly acts and outrages, not only on women and children, but men and animals, as sodomy, pederasty etc. Nymphomae mania causing women to assail every man they meet, and supplicate and excite him to gratify their lustful passions, or who resort to means of sexual pollutions, which is impossible to describe without shuddering, together with spinal diseases and many disorders of the most distressing and disgusting character.